This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're back from our July holiday break with a special focus on Brazil and the upcoming Olympics. But first, Chorzy Martin is here with the latest news from Brazil and our weekly review of news from around Latin America. More political turmoil in Brazil as the head of the lower house of Congress officially resigns. Eduardo Cunha stepped down from his post. The country's highest court has suspended Cunha two months ago, a suspension linked to corruption charges. Since that time, members of Cunha's party, the Brazilian Democratic Movement, have blocked proceedings in the country's chamber of deputies. They demanded Cunha be allowed to return to his old position, and they refused to work with his new interim replacement. Cunha read a statement to the media about his resignation. Only my resignation has the power to end the stalemate, to restore order and independence to this chamber, and to ensure the stability of our republic. Prosecutors accuse Cunha of accepting $5 million in illegal payments, money taken from Brazil's state oil firm, Petrobras. Although Cunha resigned his leadership post, he retains his seat in Congress, which gives him immunity from prosecution. Prosecutors have asked the top court in Brazil to strip Cunha of all of his congressional immunity. Thousands of Brazilians had taken to the streets demanding Cunha's removal from the government in the past few weeks. Brazil's interim president wants to reassure the world his country is ready to host the Summer Olympics. Interim President Michelle Temer took the unusual step of issuing an open letter to the media this week. He says despite worries about security, infrastructure, and the Zika virus, Brazil will be ready to host the Games in Rio. Timmer promises to have 85,000 police and members of the military providing security during the Games. Timmer's plea to the media comes after several incidents. Incidents where thieves robbed Olympic athletes already in Brazil training for the Games. We'll have more on Brazil's preparations for the Olympics after this newscast. A judge in Argentina has frozen the bank accounts of former president Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. Fernandez faces various investigations and charges that she led corruption schemes in her government, a government that left office in December of last year. Prosecutors say Fernandez and members of her family may have received at least $5 million in corrupt payments. Some linked to charges, she manipulated the value of Argentina's peso for personal benefit and to benefit her political allies. The former president denies the charges and says she's being persecuted by the new conservative government. Argentina's government deployed hundreds of riot police to guard the courts that held the hearings on the charges this week. Thousands took to the streets in Buenos Aires to show support for the former president. As we heard earlier, interest in the Olympics is peaking, but some in Brazil are already sick of all the hype, and the games are still a month away. Case in point, a story from Maracaju in central Brazil. When the Olympic torch passed through the town recently, one resident responded not with a salute, but with a bucket. A bucket filled with water. He tried to snuff out the flame by throwing a bucket of water at it. Police caught the man immediately. They say he told them he tried to drown the flame because he was responding to a challenge on Facebook. 
Rio's Olympic Committee is bringing the Olympic torch to 300 Brazilian cities before the Games open on August 5th. In the end, the flame proves stronger than the bucket of water. Just another challenge the Olympics have faced this year in Brazil. For Latin Pulse, I'm Chorsey Martin. Thanks, Chorsey. It seems Brexit isn't the only news topic of interest in the UK these days, so our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Devon in the United Kingdom. Our listening group in Devon was our third largest this past week, behind only our listeners in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in Northern Virginia, and in Guatemala City. So we say thank you very much to all of our listeners in Devon and elsewhere around the globe. And now we shift our focus back to Brazil and that $10 billion extravaganza, the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Andrew Zimblist of Smith College is the author of the book Circus Maximus, the economic gamble behind hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. Zimblist joined us via Skype from Northampton, Massachusetts. We asked him if the investment in the Olympics and the World Cup had tipped Brazil into recession the worst economic crisis for the country in more than a century. The word tipped is important because the the World Cup and the Olympics, for that matter, although they each involve spending 15 to $20 billion of, of money, and that's a handsome sum, really is a small proportion of the Brazilian economy. So it, it's very difficult to make an argument that, that says the hosting experience actually causes the the economic downturn. But if there are other factors in the economy that are weakening performance, then the extra burden of hosting the Olympics or the World Cup uh, can push the economy into a uh, a more of a downward tilt. Uh, Aside from the roiling political context in Brazil right now, the country is suffering through its worst recession in more than 100 years. I'm I wonder what you think about how that is going to impact these upcoming Olympics in Rio. The context right now for the Games in early August um, is about as bad as you can imagine. I mean, you, you quickly alluded to the political instability. The, the elected president, Jilma Rousseff, is uh, currently uh, on leave from her job. She's uh, uh, being... In, in undergoing impeachment proceedings, um, and there's been a new government installed that has a different political philosophy, and the new the new uh, president has appointed his own members of the cabinet, including a new sport minister, and so the the bureaucratic apparatus that supports the organizing committee for the Rio Games um, has has been changed just two months before the games begin to happen. The the economy has been in a downward slide for about three years. Uh, production this year, the GDP this year, probably going to go down three or four or five percent. Um, and inflation is up around 10 percent. There's vast inequalities uh, in, in the Brazilian society. Uh, something like um, 72,000 residents of the favelas, which are shanty towns that um, include about 25% of of the real population, about 72,000 residents from the favelas have been evicted in order to clear space for uh, Olympic venues and also to, in theory anyway, uh, sanitize the the images that one watches on international television uh, when watching the Olympic Games. 
they have the Zika virus that I think probably most people have already heard and read about uh, that is scaring people away. They have a very grave water pollution in the three bodies of water in Rio that will host the sailing events, canoeing events, and open swimming events. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a city that is habitually afflicted by the violence of gangs and, and drug organizations, um, but that, that violence has gotten much more acute in, over, the last, over the last 10 months. And the, the government is planning to have 85,000 85, security personnel um, guarding the streets during the Olympic Games. Uh, and, and, and much, much more. Uh, there's been a lot of environmental damage from the construction uh, for the Games. And there's been a tremendous amount of public protest um, o- over the last several months. Uh, pe- some, some of the venues and infrastructure that was constructed for uh, the games is is not in good shape. A, a one one bridge already fell apart, killing several people. Uh, one could go on and on. the The backdrop to the games um, is is really tragic, and I don't think anybody knows exactly how it's going to all play out. If I were a betting man, I probably would bet that the the images that we'll see on international television. Uh, will not be that different from those that we saw in London in 12, 2012 or Beijing in 2008. So you're going to say a sanitized version on television? I think it'll be um, 100% sanitized, yes. Uh, the, the NBC is, is not spending billions of dollars uh, in, or BBC or Canadian, CBC in Canada. They're not spending billions of dollars in, in order to present a, a, a political uh, protest or, or political instability. They're doing it to present uh, athletic events, and they will do everything they can to, to isolate the, the games from what's going on in the rest of Brazilian society. This is the first Olympics staged in South America, a bit of an inauspicious start uh, if things look to be this way in the preface to the games. Yes, yeah, uh, and, you know, there were games, although not South America, in Mesoamerica. There were games in, in Mexico in 1968. And uh, uh, oddly enough, or sadly enough anyway, those games were immediately preceded, just a few few days before the games, immediately preceded by student protests. And the government in Mexico at the time was very concerned about the uh, the images, the bad images, negative images that those protests would produce for the international audience. And, and so the Mexican government violently suppressed the student protests. And at most estimates have uh, over 200 students being killed uh, by that repression. Uh, and during the Mexican games, of course, there was a major protest by the U.S. black athletes. Martin Luther King had just been killed. Um, and there, there were serious racial incidents and disruptions going on in the United States. And so the black members, the African-American members of the U.S. Olympic team uh, were engaged in a variety of protests, one of them famously being the uh, Tommy Smith and John John Carlos uh, fists held up in the air when they were on the, the podium to receive a gold and a bronze medal. Um, so there, there have been incidents in the past, and the other game that was the other games that were held south of the the U.S. border um, 
have had very serious political incidents uh, in the past. Certainly those political incidents still resonate both in the United States and in Mexico. Uh, And so since we talked about the political context, it it seems also that before these games that, that, that there is a political pretext that is happening. Uh, yes, I'm not sure what you mean by there's a political pretext that's happening, but certainly there is uh, political effervescence and uh, political agendas that are being fought over all over the place. And uh, part, part of that political conflict is re- resulting in a situation where it's even more difficult than it normally is in Brazilian society to channel, channel the necessary financing to the organizing committee so that they can prepare the venues and prepare the the transportation uh, that needs to be in place to make the games work fluidly. Uh, As as some of your listeners might know, much of the infrastructure that's being built for the Rio games is uh, infrastructure that is not directly addressed to the needs of, of urban development in Rio. Rather, it's addressed to the needs of transporting athletes and executives and tourists from their hotels to the Olympic venues so that you have a major a subway line that's being built from the, the beaches and the hotels around Ipanema and Copacabana beaches down to uh, Baja da Tijuca where the main where the Olympic villages and the main Olymp- Olympic cluster is. Uh, this, this is a uh, basically a, a seven mile long subway that will service the Olympic Games, if it's opened in time, but once once the games, the 17 days of the games are over, uh, that that line will do very little to resolve the, the the traffic jams and the impossible traffic situation that exists in Rio uh, for for people traveling back and forth to work every day. It's it's uh, very clearly a major infrastructural investment that is geared for the Olympics. It's not geared for the development of Brazilian society. And there's a real question about whether it's going to open on time. Right now, they're 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 stating that the uh, that line called Line Four will will be open three days before the Olympics begin. That is to say, on August second, they will have trial runs uh, that some members of the public will be able to uh, test on that line. But that three days doesn't make it sound uh, very reassuring that it will actually be in place. Uh, for the Olympic Games, and that will create a traffic nightmare if, if all of the all of the tourists who are staying uh, around the beaches have to go to the main Olympic cluster by uh, by public transportation. You you mentioned the security personnel, eighty five thousand, uh, of which uh, a large percentage will be regular troops from the from the Brazilian um, military. I, I'm I'm guessing that we won't be seeing too many images of them um, during the Olympic coverage either. That's right. 65,000 will be military and 20,000 will be uh, police force people from around around the country who will be coming to Rio to uh, hopefully uh, make make the streets a little bit safer. You've already mentioned that we'll we'll see that this race, this construction race going forward to make sure that infrastructure is in place before the games uh, a little too late to fix the pollution that's already affecting um, competitors who've been training in the region for the games. Um, what are your thoughts about the pollution problems in Rio? The, the main pollution problem that people will be confronting is 
the, the, the viruses and the bacteria that, that are in the, the ocean, that are in the Guanabara Bay and in the lagoon Ricardo Freitas. Um, you know, th there have been a variety of reports that say that the, the viral levels in those bodies of water are a thousand times or more above the toxicity, toxicity levels that would be acceptable before closing, closing beaches in the United States, a thousand times or more. In addition, there will be objects, uh, hard, hard material objects in the water that some of the competitors might, might bump into. Um, uh, there, there, they have been relatively, by most reports, although viral levels are in, impossibly high, there have been um, reports that say that the bacteria levels uh, have been brought under control, that they, they can put uh, antibiotic uh, materials into the water to kill, to kill the bacteria. Uh, however, more recently, there have been reports that co have come out that say that there are super bacteria that have reappeared that are not susceptible to the antibacterial elements. And so there's bacteria as well as, as, as viral matter in the water that could be very dangerous to the athletes. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, it, it's all extraordinarily depressing. And, and uh, these poor athletes who have trained their whole lives to be able to compete in water events in the Olympics, uh, you know, 22-year-olds, 26-year-olds, or whatever, uh, find themselves in an impossible, with an impossible choice. And it seems that the overwhelming majority of them are making the choice of, of taking the risk uh, with their health and, and going forward and competing anyway. An extra challenge for them. And when you say hard objects in the water, we're, we're talking about things like kitchen appliances and, and other things that you might see in a dumping ground because the area is sometimes used that way by, by some Brazilians, yes? Exactly right. Yeah. Yes. What else do you think we need to consider as we head into these Olympics? I, I think that the, the general lesson here is that even though there, there's been rampant, pervasive corruption and inefficiency on the part of the Brazilian hosts uh, leading up to these games, that particularly developing societies, but also developed societies, have to think two and three times before they jump onto the bandwagon of hosting mega events. Um, the, the IOC is an international monopoly. It's unregulated. It's, it's modus operandus is to hold these competitions amongst the cities of the world for the right to host the games. Um, and this competition amongst the cities leads to more and more extravagant, elaborate, ostentatious, expensive bids uh, time after time. And it's not something that pays off economically. The, the scholarly evidence we have about the impact of hosting the Olympics on GDP, on um, employment, is not at all salutary. It's not positive. Uh, countries are left, they're saddled with an enormous debt. Uh, very often there's an overbuilding of hospitality uh, places so that you, you, you build hotels in anticipation of great, great amount of tourism uh, during the Olympic Games. And then after the Games, the hotels are empty. Thank you so much, Andrew Zimblist of Smith College, the author of Circus Maximus, The Economic Gamble Behind Hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. Joining us via Skype from Massachusetts, thanks for being our guest on Latin Pulse today. Thank you, Rick. 
Coming up, another view on the challenges facing Brazil. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This summer, we featured a series of conversations with Alex Quadros, the author of the forthcoming book, Brazilian Heirs, Wealth, Power, Decadence, and Hope in an American Country. He joined us this time via Skype from New York City. And this week, Quadros weighs in on politics, the Olympics, and more. We pick up our conversation discussing the administration of Brazil's interim president, Michel Temer, and his party, the Brazilian Democratic Movement, or the PMDB. You mentioned three ministers from the cabinet have resigned in these first five, six weeks of the Temer administration, and one of them is the tourism minister. We've seen he is not the first person in that post in the past year. We've seen a revolving door there. What what does this say for where the country is headed in August? You know, the tourism ministry is one of these sort of uh, bargaining chips of patronage more than having any real significant role in governance. It's, you know, it's a prize that you can hand to an ally uh, so that he can have a, a budget to spread around his allies. And proof of this is that, uh, or, or more proof of this, is that under Juma Hussef for quite some time, the sports ministry, which was responsible for overseeing the Olympics, uh, was in the hands of the party associated with the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, which is an, a very powerful uh, evangelical church with a strong representation in Congress. Uh, so I think, you know, the larger issue now is that Rio is running out of money. Uh, you know, just last week, uh, the governor had to, had to declare a state of public calamity. Um, which is something that supposedly uh, one declares after there's been some kind of natural disaster. Uh, But what has happened in Rio is obviously a man-made disaster and hard to say that it was unpredictable. Uh, The government of Rio, which uh, has been in the control of the PMDB, Temer's party, for some time now, spent a lot of money on... Uh, the Olympics, uh, and but even more seriously, uh, it spent a lot of money, or or rather, uh, took in a lot less money by awarding tens of billions of dollars of tax breaks to companies, uh, to the tune of 180 billion reais, um, and this left a hole in the budget that. Uh, means that the state now can no longer pay its doctors on time, uh, police, and has required an emergency bailout from the federal government. Obviously, Brazil is going through one of its worst recessions in more than 100 years. 
We could talk a bit more about that, but I'm also wondering about security in Rio. We see thousands of troops now deployed uh, to get the security situation in hand before the Olympics. Um, it doesn't sound like Rio is a place I want to go as a tourist right now. You know, there were a lot of security concerns before the World Cup, too. And in the end, there were no security problems. Uh, I don't want to make uh, a prediction about the security situation uh, and, uh, you know, and then someone's robbed and, and blames me. But uh, I think that concerns may be somewhat overblown as they were in 2014. Now, of course, there is the Zika virus. Um, you know, if you're not a pregnant woman or uh, in a relationship with a pregnant woman, it's not really that big a concern. Uh, it's not really a serious illness. And it seems like it's not very contagious. The main transmission is through this mosquito that doesn't exist uh, in most parts of the world. You know, that fear may also be slightly overplayed. I, you know, there's such media saturation about the Zika crisis that I think people almost start to think about it as a new Ebola or something, when in fact it's, it's a much uh, less contagious and much more specific uh, problem for pregnant women. I think that Rio is going to pull off the Olympic Games, you know, uh, people are going to get to the events on time. The events are all going to happen. Uh, it's going to be fine from the perspective of organizing an event. Uh, the real problem comes in uh, the consequences of pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into fairly useless sporting facilities at a time when you can barely pay your doctors. And that is the concern. Uh, there have even been cutbacks to that Olympics budget. I, at one point, uh, air conditioning was going to be a, a luxury item that had to be paid for in the Olympic Village uh, as just one example of these cutbacks. Yes, hundreds of millions of dollars have been poured in, but, but you're telling us um, these Olympics are still going to look good on TV and, and, and be good for the, for the people that are present for them. The Olympics are going to happen, is, is I guess my point. Uh, it's not going to be uh, some kind of epic disaster. And, and these same predictions uh, existed before the World Cup in 2014 that, you know, well, the stadiums are, are being finished uh, just before the tournament is about to start. Uh, and there were a lot of concerns about you know, the integrity of the structures or would everything be finished on time? And in the end, the event itself went off fine. Now, the real consequences of the event were economic. Uh, that's when Brazil first dipped into recession was during the quarter uh, that uh, the World Cup fell in. Anything else that you think we should consider about the economic and political situation in Brazil now? Something that I say often and, you know, maybe in somewhat forced optimism sometimes, but I think that uh, in the same way that in, say, 2007 to 2010, people exaggerated their optimism over Brazil, uh, you know, as a potential new world superpower, 
I do think that the pessimism right now may be excessive. I don't think that Brazil is going to go back to being a banana republic. Uh, I think that it's a really rocky time, but there are, in the midst of it all, some signs of, of promise. Thank you so much, Alex Quadros, the author of the forthcoming book, Brazilian Heirs, Wealth, Power, Decadence, and Hope in an American Country, joining us on Latin Pulse via Skype from New York City today. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll conclude our conversations with Alex Quadros on the challenges facing Brazil on next week's program. Thanks for joining us for Latin Pulse this week. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. You can also find our program at the website, Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot org. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, we're available in other locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website. You can find it at LinkTV, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin dash pulse. That's LinkTV.org slash Latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, production assistant Chorsey Martin and technical director Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions. Music